Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. How can you connect with your customers and team members in a way that changes their lives? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and in just a minute, we're going to talk about how to fuel a lifelong love affair with your customers and employees. But first, don't forget to visit leadx.org, that's O-R-G, where you'll find hundreds of articles from the best leadership and career experts out there. And sign up for our quick read newsletter. It's packed with actionable tips you can try out right away. Visit leadx.org. Our guest today is the former vice president of marketing for MyFitnessPal, where she led a team that grew the platform to over 100 million customers. She's been featured in the New York Times and was recently named the number one woman Silicon Valley tech companies should be naming to their boards by Business Insider. She's the founder and CEO of Transformational Consumer Insights and also the board president of City Slicker Farms, a nonprofit food justice organization in West Oakland, California. Her new book is The Transformational Consumer, Fuel a Lifelong Love Affair with Your Customers by Helping Them to Get Healthier, Wealthier, and Wiser. Our guest is Tara Nicole Nelson. Tara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Awesome to be here. Oh, we're excited for the chat. I loved your book. Um, and before we talk about it, though, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a time when you actually failed, maybe early in your career. And, you know, what was the lesson? What was the takeaway from it? Yeah, this is an interesting thing because it's a little more binary than I normally think about my career in retrospect, <laughs> <laughs> like success, failure. I right. kind of feel like I either succeed or I learn something, so it's all success. Um, but I will say this, it surprises people to know that I was actually an attorney at the beginning of my career. I practiced the law and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it a lot. And I only did it for a couple of years. And one of the big lessons and takeaways for me was that, you know, you don't get an A plus in life for sticking with a thing, a career, a line of work that you hate just because it's prestigious or just because you went to school for it or because people will think you're crazy if you leave. Um, I left the law to practice real estate and then left that to be a tech marketer. And I have very counterintuitively made more money at all of those things than I did as a lawyer and had more impact doing the things that make me feel good. So I have learned over the years that like every, and, and I've learned to not overthink my career changes and take myself too seriously. Every step you take is the right step. You cannot get off of the path. Um, so that is kind of my, my quote unquote failure story. Well, I, it's incredible. I mean, you know, you can't get off the path. Every step is a step forward and, you know, you don't get an A plus in life for sticking with something that you're not happy with. And yeah. you've just shown, I mean, that career pivots are possible and you've pivoted, you know, more than once. And it's, it's really great to hear that. So Tara, your new book is called The Transformational Consumer. So let's start at the beginning. You know, what is or who is the transformational consumer? The transformational consumer is this really, it's a massive and rapidly growing customer segment. It's a group of people who sees all of life as a series of projects to change their own behavior for the healthier, wealthier, and wiser. These people are, they are very early, very much early adopters. They believe that 
they believe the good life is possible and available to them, but they know that being able to control their own behavior is kind of the linchpin for that. Like if they're going to live the good life, it's going to be because they get their own habits and good and bad in order. And so they are constantly out there combing the marketplace, looking for the products and services and even content that can help them make really hard to make behavior changes. Um, So not only are they early adopters, they are also highly influential on the buying behavior of the people around them because everybody kind of knows that that's the guy who's always got a side business he's starting. That's the guy who's always getting a certification. That's the, the gal who's always trying out different new food philosophies. And so I tell people, here are a couple of rules of thumb. If you have been both vegan and paleo in your <laughs> lifetime, you are likely a transformational consumer. Um, and, and that's kind of a joke, but kind of serious. Um, and also, if you're an entrepreneur or you're the kind of person who listens to podcasts to, to make your career better and to n- improve your business, the chances are really good that you may be a transformational consumer, too. Oh, and in the book, we for the book, I did a, a survey of, of 2,000 American consumers, and what we came away with was this one big takeaway, that 50% of American consumers are transformational consumers. So the one big thing to remember as we talk about this stuff is that this is not a niche by any stretch. Well, I read your book, but I had forgotten that survey point. So that's a really good point. I mean, you're saying half the consumers have this mindset of of like they are in control they have some amount of power to change their habits change their behaviors and they're looking for the knowledge and tools and and things to to do that the products to do that but then there's the other half that's like they don't think they can change or they're just not interested and you know we're not going to bother targeting them I think that most people would say, if you ask them, that they want to be healthier, wealthier, and wiser. People, humanity has always wanted that. But transformational consumers have a really strong and relatively, you know, this is one of the big differentiators. They have a a bias toward action. They may not always be doing the right things (laughs) to achieve their goals, but they're always doing something. And that does differentiate them from that sort of other 50%. Now, I love to learn from examples and, and stories, and I really lit up when I saw that, you know, you you were part of the success team at MyFitnessPal. I have MyFitnessPal on my phone, and I'm, you know, I'm using it right now. And what awesome. I have found with MyFitnessPal is when I am at my best weight and, and best energy, I'm using MyFitnessPal. I'm basically, for those who aren't familiar with it, you know, I'm logging my macronutrients, my food. And when all of a sudden I've realized like, hmm, I think I weigh five pounds more than I used to, I realize I stopped using my fitness pal about five weeks ago. And that's that's what's happened. So while you were there, you had this incredible success growing their audience. I know you can't, you know, give us all the secret sauce, but how did you figure out the best way to engage with consumers? You know, how did you get so effective with your content marketing? Yeah, well, so first was we decided as a company, something that you'll see all through the book, which is that growth of user numbers, having more people have the app on your phone is important, but having those people using it over and over again, engaging them over time is vastly more important. So first of all, that was just like a perspective and lens shift. The problem that we were trying to solve as a business was growth of engaged customers. And in order to engage people, you have to understand not the newest digital 
doohickey or what the big social media <laughs> platform du jour is. You have to understand their deep humanity. Like what, what do people care about? Instead of trying to force people to care about the thing that you make, how can you align the thing that you make and the content you create to the things people already care about? So one of the very first questions I asked when I came in to my fitness pal was, what do we know about people who are trying to solve this problem of going from living an unhealthy life to living a healthier life? And what I heard back was, you know, we've done a bunch of focus groups in our office in San Francisco. To no. <laughs> like, wait, guys. Wait, guys. I love San Francisco. I live in the Bay Area, but we are not representative of any human beings anywhere. So what we did in an effort to really fixate on the undying human aspirations of our people and their real world journeys that they were going through, their real world obstacles and the real world things that were helping them make progress as they moved through that path from unhealthy to healthy living was we got out of the office and I took everyone from my executive team members to, you know, my line marketers and we went out to meet with the people. We talked to people, anyone who was trying to solve that problem of living a healthier life was a candidate for our conversations. We went into people's homes, their pantries. We went to the gym with them. We sat in the living room with someone who was struggling to get to the gym. And we just talked to them and we spotted patterns along these interviews. What we ended up doing was creating this really beautiful visual map of that journey that identified and inventoried where do people get stuck? Where do they get unstuck? What are the moments where they do research and what are they researching and where are they going to do it? And here's one big thing that I think differentiated our health health and fitness content from a lot. There is a lot of health content in the world, yeah. <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, and we grew that blog to 10 million readers a month in like a nine month period of time. We differentiated in large part by using people's natural language patterns back to them. Hmm. So spent a lot of time understanding like, what are the patterns that we keep hearing over and over again in the way these people are talking about their experience of trying to live healthier? You would be surprised, you know, I'm a consultant, I do this for a living now. You'd be surprised at how many times there is a big gap, a big disconnect between the way real people in the real world talk about the problem they're trying to solve and the way the companies that, are, you know, are purporting to innovate solutions for them talk about that problem. So one really basic example is we early on would have published a a post, let's say, that's like, here's some exercises for people with knee injuries. Exercises, knee injuries. After we sat in all those interviews, we changed a lot of our workout content to be more like, here are workouts for people with bad knees. Ah, yeah. No one says knee injuries in the world. (laughs) But when you use people's natural language back to them, it triggers and clicks their pre-existing kind of mental frames for like, hey, that's a thing I already care about because I use that language all the time. And that was one really big, I won't say it's a secret, but it was a big success factor for our content marketing. Yeah, and that's interesting. And, you know, you say you know, the way companies talk through their content marketing isn't the same as, as, as their customers. And even I can imagine in, in health and fitness, the way, again, a doctor would write a blog post or a fitness expert who doesn't have a knee injury uh, right. would talk about knee exercises or something like that is going to be very different than your target audience. And I'm curious because you said, you know, you got to, I didn't realize this, 10 million readers a month on your blog, mind blowing. In the first nine months, like that's it's, it was way more than that before I left. But yeah. So, OK, so after nine months, did you have, you know, multiple contributors? Was that part of your strategy to bring some of your customers in as contributors? 
No, not so much customers as contributors. We had a, I mean, I had a full team um, and content marketing was a huge element of what we did for marketing period at MyFitnessPal. So I probably half of the marketing team were on some level content marketers. We wouldn't have done much sort of casual like contributor content because credibility matters when you're doing health content. You know, and like, so I had two full-time nutritionists who worked as food editors, food and nutrition editors. Um, But we had a lot of people contribute from other blogs that would syndicate content to us. And we would often trade that content, you know, syndicate ours back out to, you know, nutritionists who were recipe bloggers. And we would hire some of them to create original recipe content for us. Um, We had doctors and all kinds of other people contributing content and a lot of freelance contract writers, too, back then. What we did do, though, that I think maybe to the point that you were possibly thinking about was it was really important to us to start to showcase some of the user success stories that we had, Um, because there is nothing that will get someone more interested in using an app like MyFitnessPal than seeing all the stories of the people who are actually using it to live better lives. So we would not necessarily have our customers write that content, but we definitely would put out calls for, hey, we're looking for someone who's dealt with this issue or this challenge and has the app has helped them. And we would end up connecting them with a writer to write that story out. Yeah, that's yeah, you're I think you're reading my mind because I at first thought like, hmm, you know, maybe the secret going back to that language was you were um, you know sort of building a community of the audience. But as you say, you can't have you know, someone writing a health topic or something that's going to get somebody hurt <laughs> or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. something else. But that's great. So then you ended up bringing that in as by by highlighting their success stories. Oh, yeah. And then that we integrated a lot with our PR programming, right? So we'd have our customer success stories end up on the Today Show and on different, you know, on USA Today and different, you know, media outlets. And we would also then create stories around those same people. Um, especially if they had a problem that was representative of a problem we knew a lot of people in our target audiences were dealing with, right. we would have use that same kind of content on our blog. So I've got another example I wanted to ask you about, and maybe you've answered some of it already, but I don't do spin classes, but I know of Soul Cycle and all of my friends <laughs> who go to Soul Cycle, I mean, they're like fanatics, right? And yes. obviously spin classes have existed for a long time. Cycling has existed for a long time. And so, you know, when I read your book, that was the more recent example that jumped out to me, even though I'm a MyFitnessPal user, I thought like, what is it with this spin oh, class yeah. that people are going nuts for? So what does make <laughs> them different? How did they become so successful? Well, so you have asked the right person this question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spin aficionado. I'm a cyclist. I take spin everywhere in the world that I travel, and I travel outside of the U.S. three months of the year. So I take spin everywhere, except in France, where they keep being like, get on the bike, go outside. <laughs> um, and I've taken spin at probably 20 SoulCycle studios. I think there are a bunch of reasons SoulCycle has been so successful. One is that there has been an evolution of spin. Spin used to be very much training for cycling. And I think SoulCycle sort of ushered in this era of spin as dance, (laughs) spin as party, right? So there's some just evolution in the experience of spin that they brought in with what we would call beat-based riding versus just everybody's in the room on the bike. I think that sort of happened at the same point in time as we were seeing a real inflection point in customers being willing to spend a lot more of their disposable income on group exercise and just the popularity of boutique 
group exercise studios in general. And I think SoulCycle happened at that time when people were much more willing to spend on, you know, spend a couple hundred dollars a month on fitness for CrossFit, for yoga studios, and for any sort of group exercise experience. We call this, um, I'm going to say zeitgeist around group exercise, boutique group exercise group exercises, fitness tribes, um, because people have realized that they are much more likely to work out consistently and much more likely to work out hard (laughs) if they do it with a group of people that they see all the time around fitness. So you've seen that fitness tribe and experience start to take way off at the same time as SoulCycle. The other thing, though, and I would be so curious to hear what you have to think after you go into a SoulCycle studio (laughs) and get through one whole class, SoulCycle offers a very branded experience experience that taps deeply into how people want to be not just the changes they want to make like sure it helps people get healthier because it's it's fun and they meet their friends there and it's kind of cool um but it also taps into how they want to feel it's very very motivational it's very inspirational it's very high energy and i don't just mean you know the teacher right. everything studio design like they've created these they build out big empty square studios to create corridors that like kind of force people on top of each other specifically to generate a really high energy feel. Mm. Um, so there's like a lot of stuff that's built into the physical plant of a soul cycle studio that really cranks up that energy level and it just makes it be really fun. And, and I think that those are some of the things that have made them be so successful where spin classes before were kind of like boring. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, and when it comes to the, the company marketing side, I literally just after reading your book and before, you know, prepping for uh, this interview, I, I started, I subscribed to their channels on Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, Facebook and all the rest. And it looks like their marketing really focuses on that sort of that, that experience of who you want to be and the tribe. And are they doing the same approach that you did at my fitness pal, or do you think they're doing something different with their online marketing? I'm going to guess at this some, because I sort of know some people over there. I think they're, they arrived at some of this in a less systematic way. I think it was a, a little more organic, whereas mine was like, a marketing professional sitting down being right. like, how can we drive more engagement? I think SoulCycle was started by a couple of women who had a really like beautiful, just internal organic vision for, for what this uh, experience would be like. And then they started doing it. And then I do think they got really systematic about optimizing and continuing that over time, both on a marketing perspective and on the internal experience. Um, uh, so I think it's slightly, prob- probably was less systematic in terms of like mapping out the customer journey up front, right. but I assure you that they have a world-class marketing and brand um, approach now. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I, um, <laughs> the core audience of, of the LeadX podcast is leaders at work, managers, and you, know, you do talk about uh, sort of the transformational approach to workplace culture. So what would be some practical ways that we could apply your findings to employees in the workplace? Well, you know, I think my findings apply to all human beings, (laughs) to be clear. I think they apply to customers. I think they apply to employees. I think they even apply to customers in business to business Mm. and and enterprise businesses. So I kind of wish that we would like drop some of the way, the siloed way that we think about these things. When you think about the, one of the opening data points of the book is that Gartner says something like 72% of American employees rank on the disengagement spectrum from like, 
eh, kind of bored and checked out to like actively hateful right, right. <laughs> toward their employees. Your employees are transformational consumers too. They have transformational like desires and aspirations and dreams too. They want to live healthier, wealthier and wiser lives too and work it is so deeply intertwined with those aspirations. When you think about everything from stress management to fulfilling your potential, you know, to that you were put here on the planet to fulfill, to working more productively, to finding the right career fit for yourself. If your workplace is terrible and fear-filled, which is something I talk about a lot about in the book because I see it and hear a lot among consumers that their corporate cultures are anxiety or fear-driven, transformational consumers in your audiences will leave. And that's really, uh, I think, I think that is something we will see more and more as we get into a place where millennials become more and more um, our workforce. I just read a stat that like 70 something percent of kids in high school today say that they don't expect to ever work for a company. (laughs) Right, right. Right. There's like a real gig economy. They don't necessarily have the same beliefs in the institutions of like companies and employers the way that we were raised to. So like what I spend a lot of time doing with my employees that I think has overcome a lot of these things is several fold. One is I recognize that I only want to work with and hire geniuses. Mm. So I think and study a lot on what are the conditions of a workplace that are conducive to great people, not just good people, great people being able to do great work. Um, I keep in mind that geniuses can work anywhere, (laughs) right? Right. And so like that's just kind of, I'm always seeing it as like a really, as a blessing to me, their employer, that these people choose to spend this season of their career with me. And so not only am I thoughtful about what can they do for me? I'm always thinking about what is, I, and I've talked to my employees about this. Actually, probably currently my highest performing employee right now, I am helping find another job. So I spend a lot of time thinking with my employees about their career plans and paths and what they want to create in their lives and what they want, what they think is the way they can be the biggest contribution to the planet and helping them figure out, like, if you're going to be with me for a couple years, which is, you know, about right, two, three, four, maybe years of the outside, what can I do while you're with me that will help you not just be a value to my organization, but help you create the career you want after? And that sounds crazy but gets great loyalty and engagement. And it's the reason why I think probably 50 or 60% of my team at my fitness pal had worked with me at three or more companies um, because they know that I care more about them. And it's an interesting conversation to have as an incoming CMO to your CEO to say, (laughs) like my employees actually matter to me more than this company. Right. And that's fascinating because First of all, it's this day and age, I think that's a realistic strategy. And I like that phrase, you know, this this season of their career. And it's, you know, two, three, four years. And it's easier than ever before to, with, you know, technology tools to find new jobs and to move and, and all of these things. And I mean, I, um, I mean, gosh, 25 years ago, I remember leaving a job and that boss wouldn't speak to me for 20 years because he felt yeah, you know, betrayed. No. And that was that's like the old school thinking. And not only are you getting geniuses who are going to stay engaged during their season, but when they move on, you've got you've strengthened your own network. I mean, now you have a friend, you have a potential partner. You have a customer. You have a customer. You have a right. friend. You have a partner. You have a customer. You have a referral source. It's great. You have a referral source for new customers. You have a referral source for new employees. Mm. 
like this woman that I'm coaching right now out only because I think she's at a place in her career where she needs to have a couple of other experiences. She's like sending me her friends who are similarly qualified. (laughs) Well, that makes my whole life easier, you know, to start talking to people who she's already vetted. So, yeah, it's and it is a novel thing, but it's also, you know, it's an artifact of a workplace. My parents worked at the same company for 30 years, and that company has taken very good care of them in their retirement. Mm. Companies don't really do that anymore. So you can't really expect for employees to, like, do that either. Right, right. Yeah. It's so much easier just to complain about the millennials then and make it all their fault. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I just had a whole conversation with some really brilliant um, millennial people who I would say are like members of the workforce. Um, And I kind of try to say millennial noun, like millennial is Mm. a descriptor of something else. There's probably, there's almost always something that is more salient and relevant to the conversation than that they are millennials, (laughs) even in marketing, like millennial moms. I do a lot of work around or millennial employees, but you know, millennial itself is a huge group. It's like 18 to 34 or something. So there's a lot of other stuff that's going on in those people's lives that is more relevant to what they buy and think. Yeah. And not to go down that rabbit hole too deep, but I I always say the same thing to, for people to think that a group from like 18 to 34, that you know, there's a lot in common just because of the age, the generation between the 34 and the 18. I said that, you know, and the generation is the small variable. Did they grow up in an urban environment or a rural environment? I mean, there's so many other variables. And what do they want to create in their lives? And so that's a theme of the book is like people's aspirations matter much more than their demographics do, right? right? Like what is it that they're trying to do, create problem they're trying to solve, dream they're trying to unlock and how can you help make that happen? That is the ticket regardless of what their age is. Love it. So Tara, before we wrap up, I always like to challenge the lead X listeners to get a little bit better every single day. I love it. (laughs) Give us something practical, something that we can actually go out and try. Okay. I mean, I I really thought about this long and hard. I thought, hug a puppy. Hug a pug is what I say (laughs) at my house because I have two pugs. Um, Take a walk. But what I really want to share is like, I have a daily writing practice that has changed my career and my life. So I would say this, spend 30 minutes tonight before you go to bed, just writing. Never show it to anyone. It's not ever meant to be sent to anyone. It's not for anything. There's no writing assignment except to just dump your brain out. You will find it to be an emotional windshield wiper, I suspect. Mm. And it will, I hope, entice you to experiment with doing just free writing is what we call it. Anytime you just need to clear the slate. Well, I'm pausing because I'm taking notes. And again, uh, Tara, you, you, you have a way with language, you know, emotional windshield wiper. I love that. Um, so 30 minutes of free writing before we go to bed. Yes. 30 minutes of free writing. I made up part of that phrase. I didn't make a full <laughs> of that phrase, to be clear. That is inspired by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. And she talks about spiritual windshield wiping. Great. Um, so, yes, to, to give credit where credit is very much due. Excellent. So Tara, what's the best way our listeners can find out more about you and your work? Yes, I would love to invite people to come see me at transformationalconsumer.com. There is also on that site, there's a giveaway button. So if people want to click and just let me know what what podcast they heard me on, then I enter people in and we give a book away a week. The other thing I would encourage them to do is to click blog 
And there, I actually run a series of 30-day writing challenges for conscious leaders. They're free. It just takes a little bit of time. And I, I build a whole, I have a whole platform and sort of set of tools for you. But it really does that emotional windshield wiping or helps people make big progress. I've had three people now write books, whole wow. books in the course of my 30-day writing challenges. So I'd strongly encourage anyone who needs to either get better at expressing themselves or get a writing practice down or make progress on a project to come join us. Well, I'm going to check that out and I'll uh, throw some social media love at that too. I tell Ah. everybody, if you want to talk about transformation, if you want to change your career, whether you're an entrepreneur or traditional uh, big corporate worker, write a book. I mean, it is, uh, it's the best thing you can do for, for your career and a great creative experience as well. So this sounds like a great way to explore that or to even do it. Awesome. Okay, so friends, you've just been mentored by Tara Nicole Nelson. Don't forget, you can get all the links she mentioned and the notes from this interview over at leadx.org. You can get Tara's book from amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And listeners, before you go away, do me a favor. Just subscribe and leave a quick, honest review over on iTunes for this show. And then um, shoot me an email. Let me know. I'm at kevin at leadx.org. We'll send you some swag and get you into the LeadX Ambassador group. So until next time, remember, leadership isn't about a title or power or authority. It's about influence. And that means we are all leaders. Who are you going to lead today? today?